morning and welcome to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. I'm Stephen Spitz. On today's show, New Mexico's legislative session has now ended and the dust is clearing. What were the significant developments and were there any big misses? We have the right guest to answer these questions. The author of the state's go-to political blog, New Mexico Politics with Joe Monahan. Joe Monahan, welcome back to the program. Good to be back with you, Stephen. Joe, there were lots of moving parts in Santa Fe this session. More than a thousand bills were filed, some 240 passed, along with a $9.57 billion with a B budget and a whopping $3.6 billion budget surplus. But before we go there, there was also a new sheriff in town. Democrat Javier Martinez was elected the new Speaker of the House. And he immediately stunned legislators and political watchers by canning the head of the Appropriations Committee, who also alternates as the chair of the Legislative Finance Committee. This got an awful lot of press at the time, and I'm wondering what you make of it now. Well, I mean, that's the inside the weeds story that there's a new chairperson of the House Appropriations Committee. Now, the broader impact, however, is important because it really does signal a sea change in New Mexico fiscal policy in terms of budget, in terms of economic stimulus, in terms of funding the government. It is that big. And shortly before we did this program, David Abbey the head of the LFC staff, the Legislative Finance Committee, another powerful financial group in Santa Fe, announced that he will be retiring in the coming months. And he's been there for 25 years in that position. Uh, the, the, the budget doves have been arguing for the last couple of decades that the government has not been funding uh, behavioral health and other human condition programs sufficiently. It's led to the state stagnating or being uh, in the last place in many of these categories. And now they're saying that there's a more progressive lean to the budget with the new chairman of appropriations and a soon-to-be new chairman of the Legislative Finance Committee. So that's a big change from the days of the uh, John Arthur Smith as chairman of the Senate Finance Committee and the so-called austerity hawks and budget cutters holding command in Santa Fe. This is a new fiscal day, and we'll see how far they'll take it. They've already taken it quite far with this record state budget and uh, big capital outlay programs and big increases for school teacher pay, state employee pay, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because he also made another move that surprised people. Uh, and I want your take on this because he put uh, $2.5 billion into the feed bill for a study on legislative staffing and district offices. And it was very unusual to put it in the feed bill. And he obviously wanted to make sure that went through, right? Yeah, I think it was a two and a half million dollar appropriation to study the possibility yeah. of heading towards a, a full time legislature and a full time salary. But it didn't get much headway in Santa Fe this session. That's going to be one of those things, Stephen, that's going to take a number of years to get the public comfortable with it, educate the legislature entirely and then go forward with it. And I think they're laying the groundwork for that in future sessions uh, to get New Mexico's legislature on a full time basis instead of the current part-time basis, and also provide them with full-time salary, the theory being that this would be a more professional legislature and would also give more people the opportunity to serve in Santa Fe. But we've had this system for well 
little over a hundred years. And right now people are a little uh, skeptical or a little concerned about making the shift and they want to learn more. At least that's my read on it. So one more inside politics question for you, which is there was a coup of sorts among the Republicans also. And we had a, we have a new house minority leader, Ryan Lane. And he comes from the, what, what I think anyway, is the non-MAGA part of the party. And why do you suppose the Republicans made that move? Well, they had terrible results in the election under uh, House Leader James uh, Town, uh, Townsend and the minority uh, leader, Rod Montoya. They were the uh, chairs of the party, if you will, in fact, for the legislative campaigns. And they did not pick up the seats that they wanted to and they should have t uh, picked up, according to many of the Republican brethren, leaving them in a distinct disadvantage in the House. And therefore, I think that prompted the call for new faces to lead the Republican Party going forward. The Republicans are in deep trouble in the state, as you know, as everybody knows, they've got to do something to break through and rebuild. They only have 15 members uh, in, in the in the Senate and of what, about 25 in the 70 member House. So they really don't have much power. And it's all about rebuilding and getting power in the future years. So so here, Joe, was a real shocker because uh, Ryan Lane started saying nice things right away about Javier Martinez. And Javier Martinez started saying nice things about Ryan Lane. And that was a real change. And I'm wondering, did that carry over through the session? And if it did, did it actually make any difference? Did No, there any I don't believe it did. I think most of that is what we call optics and cosmetics, and we're going to be nice to each other. But the progressive tilt of the legislature was really not uh, interrupted by this uh, so-called peace with the Republicans. I think this was just a move by this new speaker to show civility, which is a big thing with voters. But in terms of its actual impact, the Democratic numbers are so overwhelming, they can be nice or they can be mean. They were mean under Speaker Egoff if you will. They got what they wanted. They can be nice under Javier Martinez, and they're still going to get what they wanted because politics is power. Democrats have the numbers. Having said that, I suppose it is nice to see both of them uh, not descending into the social media sewer or calling each other's names, but it's mostly cosmetics, if not 100% cosmetics. So uh, that's, a, that's a perfect lead-in to what I wanted to come to next, which is, of course, the legislation. And actually, you know, with the Democratic governor, and as you say, uh, control over the legislature by Democrats, you would think there would be clear sailing for their agenda. And that was somewhat true, as you say, but th they also ran into trouble. And where they seemed to have clear sailing, at least in my view, was when it came to some smaller bills on abortion and election and voting reform. There, they seemed to, to be able to pretty much get their way without any problems, right? Yes. And and what do you, what did you make of those changes, those bills? Uh, the abortion bill, you know, was fully expected to pass because they paved the way for it last year. Uh, their loss really was on gun control, but that was more a governor bill. She's always been pretty obsessed with gun control ever since she was a congresswoman, to her credit. She's really pushed it hard. But more and more, the legislators are seeing that this is a national issue and there's constitutional problems. You combine that with the conservative Democrats, uh, the few of them that are left, and that's why she ran into trouble uh, with uh, that situation. But, you know, the budget is huge. She got a lot of what she, she got the 6% pay raise for the the uh, 
uh, state employees on top of pay raises last year. They got them to pay the insurance premiums for school teachers on top of uh, big pay raises annually. Uh, most people are going to remember the session for the $500 check that they're going to get in the mail or the $1,000 check if they're a married couple. That's the tax rebates in that bill that are going to cost almost $700 billion. So that's the headline legislation coming out of it. And that's going to create warm feelings about the uh, about the Democrats and the Republicans, maybe for that matter, in the legislature. But I didn't see any major bills on the Democratic side that are, are game changers or a significant new trend that failed. I just didn't see it. Well, um, there were, on guns, Joe, there were a couple minor crime bills that that she got on guns. And they they actually had a lot of uh, Republican support or some Republican support. Uh, one was negligent access to weapons, right? Storage, yeah. and yeah. and and that is a problem, right? And it's not like she didn't get anything on that. No, she got that. That's the Betty Hargrove Act, and yeah. that to try to hold parents responsible for safe storage of their guns. But the criticism of that legislation is who's going to enforce it? Is it really going to have a significant impact? Well, let's talk about something that undoubtedly has significance, and that's crime. And I want to talk to you about some of the crime bills that were considered at this session. But before we do that, let me mention that this is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. I'm Stephen Spitz, and I'm joined today by Joe Monahan. Joe is the go-to blogger in this state, New Mexico politics, with Joe Monahan. And Joe, a problem in New Mexico, and actually in the United States, is crime. And the governor really said she was pushing a preventive detention bill. And what this bill would have done was create a presumption of dangerousness for certain kinds of arrests. And I guess I was a little surprised it, it actually went nowhere. I wasn't surprised, Stephen, and I'll tell you why. I mean, this is the second year in a row we went through this. Chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Joe Cervantes, said at the very beginning of the session that he was not going to allow that bill to go through his committee. It was DOA, dead on arrival. But again, the Democrats used this as a headline grabber to show, look how concerned about crime. We're going to try to get this pre-detention thing through. Frankly, it's starting to remind me of Governor Martinez and her drive for uh, to repeal license driver's licenses for uh, undocumented people. Remember that one? Every year it was introduced. It was a good headline grabber. It made the voting base like pay attention. But this thing is not going to go through. It's unconstitutional, according to Cervantes and many others, and it is not going to solve the crime problem, you know, from my perspective anyway, even if it did go through. So this was a loss for the governor. And my criticism of it was that you've got to start switching the narrative. You can't keep going after these bills when your own party chairman is against them. And no one wanted to talk about that. Like, oh, it may pass or it's going through. It was all a big kabuki. It was not going to go past. And, you know, I was surprised by the media coverage and the political coverage of it that this thing had a chance. And, you know, informed listeners like yourself were saying, "Whoa, well, I'm surprised it did go through. It was I mean, I, I guess through. what surprised me is it, it went absolutely nowhere. Well, no, it did surprise me. And I reported <laughs> it on my blog. That's why we do the blog at JoeMonahan.com. Let's let's move to another uh, bill. And that is. This is something that was the darling of progressives. And I have to tell you, it, it seemed to make a lot of sense to me. And that was raising the alcohol tax. This is a tax that hadn't been raised in a very long time. 
there was a lot of stories right around the session that New Mexico actually has the leading rate of alcohol death in the United States. And if you if listeners wonder what that could be, think homicides, think damage to health, think DWI fatalities. These, these are alcohol-related deaths. We lead the country, and there have been a number of studies that show that if you actually raise the tax, people drink less. And so what happened, it seems to me, the lobbyists came in and said, you're going to hurt our businesses because people will drink less. And the progressives said, well, that's the point. But they couldn't, they couldn't pull it off. Well, that's well said and well explained. And I agree that this was one of the most important uh, pieces of legislation in Santa Fe that failed. And the interesting thing about that is that New Mexico not only has the worst rate of alcohol deaths in the nation, but it has by far the worst uh, death rate, far past uh, the number two state uh, with this affliction. And passage of this bill would have signified that to me that Santa Fe was getting more serious about the behavioral health crisis in this state, which includes the massive amount of uh, alcoholism, but it also includes the ongoing fentanyl and opioid epidemic that's claiming lives, the increase in crime that we talked about earlier, generated by drug addiction, the lack of behavioral health to get people who want it into a behavioral health and addiction counseling and therapy programs. This was a big bill, and it wasn't the darling of all the progressives because some of the progressives peeled off. Representative Tara Jaramillo peeled off. She's a newly elected representative out of Socorro. I asked her why. She said, well, because uh, the economy still hasn't recovered and the local breweries down here in south central New Mexico will suffer. Other legislators peeled off. The chairman of the tax committee, Derek Lente, the Native American from Sandia Pueblo, he was instrumental in watering down the tax so that it became out of Santa Fe at less than a penny to, to uh, uh, for each drink served. The original legislation called for a quarter a, a, a drink, a quarter, uh, 25 cents. That would have made a big impact because it would have raised the prices. It would have cut consumption. And it probably, according to the experts, as you ably mentioned, would cut the rate of drinking, which in turn would cut the rate of disease and the social consequences of the rampant alcoholism that most sections of the state are suffering from. Okay, let's let's move to another issue that actually another bill that didn't make it. This concerns CYFD, Children, Youth, and Family Services. There were a number of bills, Joe, that sought to install a third party out of department ombudsman or child advocate to try to look into and correct and critique the mistakes that are obviously being made at CYFD. Now, this bill was sponsored in part by a lot of Republicans. And I want to ask you, was that its big problem? Because, you know, no executive, no governor, no president, they, no one wants an outside party highlighting all your agency's mistakes or your mistakes. And I'm guessing that that was the reason why this bill really didn't make it. But you're the one with the insight. 
Well, I mean, it could be one of the reasons, but obviously the governor was stubborn on this. She was against it. You're right. She doesn't want to give up control. The problem with the theory is 43 other states have an ombudsman or a go-between between their child safety agency uh, and uh, and the ombudsman to make it to provide an independent set of eyes for these horrific child abuse cases. And once again, New Mexico ranks near the top of child abuse, domestic violence, child abuse, child murder, all the depressing statistics that we don't want to hear, but that's the reality. And the governor roadblocked this bill, maybe in part because the Republicans want it. But, you know, you thought you were going to get some bipartisan uh, uh, approach with with the nice words between Javier Martinez and the new minority leader. Like I said, it doesn't make much of a difference. On this, the Republicans, uh, what was interesting, Stephen, is that the bill passed overwhelmingly in the House and Senate. She, they got a free ride. They were all able to say we're for the ombudsman, but they knew the governor was going to, uh, uh, you know, nix the bill. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about CYFD and the problems there, because the problems are immense. They're horrible. They're horrific. And the other reason is I think the problems at CYFD are somewhat a proxy for the problems generally at state agencies. But before I do that, let me mention that I have with me Joe Monahan, the author of New Mexico Politics with Joe Monahan. My name is Stephen Spitz, and you're listening to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. Let me go back and, and, and elaborate on earlier on the ombudsman, the big bill that we think would have made a, a better impact on, on the dysfunctional uh, CYFD department. It passed both the House and Senate with overwhelming margins, but then they had to do a new version to reconcile it. It got over to the Senate, and Senate Majority Leader Peter Wirth let it die. The, let it, the Senate leadership let it die, so it never got to the governor. Uh, and so that's how it played out politically. They can go home and say they voted for it, but everybody knew uh, the final version was not approved and did never make it to the fourth floor. So, so they voted for it, and they protected her. And they protected it. Exactly. That was the political movida. And now we hear, well, you know, maybe when we get these next round of child abuse cases, God forbid, or child killings, people will say, well, you know, you had that bill up there and there'll be more heat put on them to uh, give the independent set of eyes. I mean, they've had problems in CYFD. They're having problems in Department of Health now with the developmental disability waiver for people who are of that uh, nature and who are being watched over by state agencies. You know, the governor and the executive branch can't do it all alone. We've got to have independent eyes in a state that is failing on so many fundamental levels and protecting its most vulnerable citizens. So, so here's what the governor, one of, one of the things the governor argued, and I think there's actually truth in this, which is the problems at CYFD are obvious. They've actually been reported on. We don't really need an ombudsman. We know all the problems we have now. And she, and she herself called CYFD dysfunctional. So this is the governor defending against the ombudsman, saying the agency's dysfunctional. But what I want to talk to you a bit about is that dysfunctionality. And that is, li listen to some of this stuff. This comes from a legislative finance committee, LFC, report on CYFD. It has a 25% vacancy rate. And, and actually, according to the L LFC, that's true across most agencies. It's generally true. Only 20% of the social workers who work at that agency are actually licensed. In other words, 80% aren't. And get this, 
that violates New Mexico law to call somebody a social worker when they aren't. That violates New Mexico law. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the agency is obligated to have so-called qualified residential facilities. These are like private rooms, behavioral health, certain staffing ratios. In other words, it's quality. They have almost none. Yep. Okay. And because of that, and, and this really got to me, they are referring children they take from families to homeless shelters. They're putting their kids they take from families in homeless shelters. Let me go back to the governor thing again, because she did propose a solution to the CYF dysfunction, which she owned up to by saying it's dysfunctional. And that was basically a reorganization and some advisory personnel in order for her to change that culture. That's that's, you know, to to, uh, to be fair about it. That's what she proposed. I personally do not agree with that. I don't think it's nearly enough. OK, so now we move on to what you're talking about, which is that the legislature did not show a serious approach to all those, that litany of complaints you have about CYFD. I mean, there wasn't an all out cry on the center or house floor that we've got to get new social workers in there. We've got to stop this uh, uh, huge vacancy rate. We've got to pay them more. We've got to recruit out of state, in state, wherever we can find people. You really need to have an urgent attitude. And they didn't. Let me say, and because I'm an equal opportunity, I can, I can criticize conservatives, I can criticize progressives. And I criticize the progressives when it comes to CYFD and crime. They don't have any clue on how important it is to most people, it seems. And they and it just continues here. And and that's the old leadership was uh, had it wrong by going too far to the right. Now we've got we're going too far to the apathetic uh, zone. I think that there's been a lot of give up in Santa Fe over these issues that you are mentioning uh, on the fourth floor from the governor and in the legislature as well. And it's somewhat perplexing to me because we're you know I guess the answer the cynical answer would be there's no votes in these reforms that you're promulgating or advocating, and that's the problem we have. We need to you know there ha there were a lot of good people who fought for that ombudsman bill, and I worked with them, and I know them, and I think they'll be back again. But this is another case, Richard, uh, Stephen, sorry, of having to knock on the uh, knock on the wall time and again, and it's really it's really sad because human lives are at stake, and the and and futures of children are at stake. So, so the most obvious solution to this, in, in my view, is you have to pay people more. I mean, you're not going to get actual social workers to work at a place where you're not paying the going rate. In fact, you know, working there, I mean, the uh, the head of CYFD called it traumatic to work there. The governor yeah. said it's high risk, low reward. So if you're going to try to get staff and, and social workers to do that, you're going to have to pay more than the going rate. Yeah. And, and, and the problem I have, and this is why I want to broaden it to other agencies, is they're just not doing is it. That's why there's a 25% vacancy rate. John D'Antonio last year resigned, saying he doesn't have the staff to perform his functions. The head of the environmental department said, we don't have the staff to supervise or regulate the Permian Basin. And there's a methane cloud over the Permian Basin. I mean, it, yes, it's COIFD, but it's 
isn't it all isn't it true throughout the agency the state agency well it's it's true throughout the country what you're saying finding people to work has been very difficult we can go back to the police departments and the other agencies but teacher shortages doctor shortages this pandemic really uh, not to excuse it but this pandemic really put a a crimp on hiring and on people going back to work and and pursuing careers apparently and so we're still suffering the hangover from those days and the solution to that a lot of private sector employees have uh, employers have found is you got to pay more now they have pay they are paying CYFD people more uh, you know and they need to continue to do that but they have a cultural problem there and they need a new cabinet secretary this one's been there over a year it hasn't worked out keep moving this is the second one but we need a new one and we need and at some of these other agencies we may need you, you know change at the top if we're not getting results with the, uh, these vacancies at least if they're not meeting the stated goals the problem is we're not really the legislature didn't say well we want to see that 25 vacancy rate to 50 and if we don't, we're going to take action. They're not laying down any markers on these things. And so uh, exactly have- right. Exactly right. Joe, we're nearing the end of the show. And I, I, I and you mentioned something earlier that I want to come back to, and I want to make sure we have time. And that is much of our crime is fu- fueled by drug addiction, right? If you really want to stop crime before it happens, instead of you know arresting and imprisoning people, You've got to do something about drug addiction. And I couldn't find anything they actually did positive about drug addiction. And they postponed starting drug rehab in prisons till 2026. They did the opposite. So what do you make of that? I mean, it, it to me, it makes no sense. If you want to do something about crime, you need to do something about drug addiction and you and you don't want people to go into prison and come out still addicted. Yeah, you know, and the booze one with the power of the alcohol lobby, of course, is one of the elephants in the room. Uh, this is another elephant in the room is the massive addiction problem, the fentanyl problem. I think we're getting, you know, we need a multi-faceted approach. We're getting more drug arrests from the FBI and law enforcement. They've stepped that up with these big um publicized drug arrests. And that's good because it's like booze. If you limit the quality, the quantity of the drugs, you're going to cut down on the usage. But having said that, yeah, you need a comprehensive behavioral health goal, which says anybody who approaches us, the state for treatment, will have that treatment available within the 24 hour period. That, that's the only way you're going to do it. If you can't catch these people when they're willing to get help, and there's nothing available, you're not going to be able to help them and it's going to continue. And that's where we need to get these progressives, these more uh, more serious as they have taken power in Santa Fe on the drug addiction, on the alcohol addiction, on the CYFD, the one that these problems that you've uh, ably pointed out. So, the you know, I had Chief Medina, chief of police in Albuquerque on. He said he would like diversion programs for people with drug addiction, but there's no place to send them. I uh, he said the judges have no place to send them in court to divert. And I had on a uh, UNM professor who said the only drug rehab program they have in prisons is a trial program. So, you know, yes, you're absolutely right. We ought to make available programs for people who think they need it. But we're ignoring the actual criminals who do have drug addiction and we're not doing anything about it. And I it perplexes me. 
Well, it is. And it's a lack of leadership. What we need um, in regard to these issues that you are raising is several leaders or one or two leaders to stand up and say, here are my stated goals. You know, we had a, a governor election and Ron Ketty, the Republican nominee, did touch upon CYFD to his credit, but not much else in terms of the social behavioral crisis. And neither did the governor. And I think a lot of politicians are just afraid to touch it. They feel they're going to lose politically. If it doesn't work, they'll get blamed. And it's a no-win situation. There's no votes in it. But obviously, what's in it is the future of the state and a better quality of life and get New Mexico out of these miserable uh, ratings. But, you know, we know what the solutions are, as you pointed out, to many of these problems. But we need the leadership to implement them competently, effectively, and with strength and to lead the public into fully supporting them. And unfortunately, we have not, we did not see that uh, at this recent session, uh, at least not to the degree that you and I apparently would like it to be. We are going to have to leave it there. Thanks to my guest today, Joe Monahan. Thanks also to my producers, Gus Defoy and Tristan Klum. The executive producer of this show is Lynn Shebecki, and my name is Stephen Spitz. You've been listening to New Mexico People, Places and Ideas on KUNM. Podcasts of this show are available wherever you get podcasts. Search Stephen Spitz. Archives of past shows are at stephenspitz.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.